opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. For Sunday afternoon, the 4th of July, 2021. This is episode 46 of the Anime Roundtable Canada, presented by Anime North. Good afternoon from Six Points, 10 minutes south of the Anime North compound in the Toronto West End. Mike Nicholas, James Austin, Kevin Ng, Mohamed Shamarki, and Jeff Gregg with you. As we begin, summer. The final frontier. Yeah. Well, considering considering the forest fires? Sure. Well... The heat in general and stuff like that. All the heat going on on the West Coast, even more sure. Landslides? You bet. Quick reminder again, you can contact us. Email animeroundtable at gmail.com. Twitter and Instagram at animeroundtable. Animeroundtable.com for show notes and past episodes. And we'll mention the Facebook group, the Discord, the Twitch, and the YouTube. Someday, someday, someday. Why do we even bother mentioning it if we're not going to work I'm, on it? Consistency, <laughs> guys. Come on, consistency. It's consistency, and I'm working on a script here. <laughs> where do you want to start this week? Or I, th- I have an idea where I want to start this week, because since the last episode a couple weeks ago, all four of you, dum-dums, have gotten your second vaccines. Who's got two thumbs and a microchip inside of him? This guy. (laughs) (laughs) Just to let you know, Mike, even if we are going to your place one day to record, we have to get those, like, clear plastic uh, dividers like we've seen on many of the streams, and we'll all be wearing masks. Have you updated your HVAC system, Mike? (laughs) (laughs) I think think the filters were cleaned earlier this week, but that's about it (laughs) while I was out at work. Okay. So, just, this is a, a little bit of full disclosure. All five of us have now gotten our second doses. Hey, wh- what shot did you guys get? I got. I ended up with a Pfizer. Pfizer gang. What about you, Pfizer Jeff? Well, uh, both, both Moderna. Both Modernas. See that? See that's a rarity. See, here's the story going on in uh, in Ontario. There's a little bit of vaccine shopping going around because Moderna is becoming much more prevalent or much more common here in these parts. So people have gotten so used to steering away from AstraZeneca because of all the bad press it's gotten. But it's given by default all good press to Pfizer. And for a long time, Pfizer was pretty much the only thing going for an mRNA vaccine because Moderna's weren't as plentiful. And now Moderna's making up for lost time and it's now becoming the only choice in much of Ontario. And a lot of people are known to walk away from that. It's like uh, Pfizer's Coke and Moderna's Pepsi. Some people just like Coke, man. Yeah. 
Although Coke and Pepsi have the have the same end result, and so do uh, so do <laughs> Pfizer and uh, Moderna, right? Well, I think both me and Kevin also got Pfizer uh, for both of our shots as well. But it and all depends. You don't know until you go to uh, your clinic, and mm -hmm. they'll tell you whether they're giving you Pfizer or Moderna. But at the end of the day, it's going to help us get over the hump. And the thing <laughs> is, is that there have been reports of people walking away from their appointments when they go to them and find out that they're not getting Pfizer. Those spoiled individuals. Well, Mohammed is the only one. And now we have, now we're going to give some full disclosure because I know Mohammed got the mix. Wait, what? Did you get the mix? <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> so, so Mike works at one of these clinics and I have to get my shot there. And uh, I'm not a big fan of needles. So I wasn't really paying attention. So, uh, what are you trying to tell me here, Mike? Oh, wait. What was your first shot? Pfizer. It was a Pfizer. See, that's what I meant by the mix. Okay, okay. I thought you played like some kind of switch route. To... <laughs> oh, no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have her do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Full, the full disclosure is that I have a temporary job right now at one of the Toronto-run mass vaccination clinics. Actually, just a little bit away from from six points here of oh, the 427 yeah yeah just just a few minutes from six points so i've been there for almost a month now i took great interest actually in talking about the vaccine clinics here in the west end and of course if you've listened to this podcast you know that the most famous one to anime north fans is the one that takes place on the anime north compound the toronto congress center is one of the i think the so third or fourth largest of the nine vaccine clinics that the city runs. Only the Metro Toronto Convention Center and Downsview, the hangar at Downsview Park are bigger. And then number three, depending on the on a given day, that number three could go to either the Toronto Congress Center or Cloverdale Mall, both in the West End. They're actually about five minutes away from each other. Just along the uh, 427 and 27 and Cloverdale's where I am. So I actually had the choice to, to, to work either at Cloverdale or Toronto Congress Center. And I chose Cloverdale because I don't have to go too far. And I, I'm just going to speak from experience right now. It is a, you feel uh, it's a very interesting place to work because you have a bunch of people who come from different backgrounds who have who have been displaced as well by the pandemic for various reasons from their normal jobs, whether it's with another company or with or with the city in other departments, because uh, there's a good chunk of parks and recreation employees working with with me who have been displaced from their normal job, usually as working at, uh, at Toronto-run community centers and pools. And the last almost one month I've been there, it's been, I have to say, one of the more interesting and I will say rewarding experiences I've had to do. It's the tasks for us are very simple tasks, but they're, I always like to say they're not unimportant. They have some importance because they free up 
the people who do the really most, really important things in our clinics to focus on those things, whether it's like all we, all I do is be a support to the, these people. And these people are administrative staffs who make sure that the people who are coming in are properly ready to go for their vaccines. They have the proper appointment and make sure, you know, get all their clerical work done before they get their vaccines. The medical staff, the clinical staffs who actually administer the vaccines. We, our job is to make sure they don't have to worry about things like crowd control or cleaning up simple spaces, scrubbing down chairs, aside from the ones that they're, they are immediately working on or picking up garbage. They can focus completely and solely on the tasks they're supposed to do to serve people who desperately are looking for a way out from what's been going on for almost what? How many, how many months now are we talking? I think we're 16 or 17 at this point. Year plus, certainly. So it's been a nice experience. And truth be told, it's not a job. Like, really, I shouldn't be in that job. But then again, we shouldn't be where we are. But that's where we are. And the, the dum-dums I want to talk about, just to see how you guys are faring after you guys got your doses. Now, Jeff, I know, is furthest out from um, getting his second dose because he got it not too long after I did, which were days apart, more than oh, roughly two weeks ago. So uh, I won't ask about his symptoms, but Mo, <laughs> Kevin, James, uh, this is a great day to be doing this podcast because maybe you guys are suffering from symptoms, which might make this experience today awesome. How are you guys feeling? Feeling great. I only had like some symptoms prior the day after, and it was just a tiny bit more than after my first shot. It was just a little fatigue. And then a little more aching in the arm where I had the shot. So there wasn't anything really bad compared to what other people had. I know some other people definitely had more severe reactions, maybe some headaches and stuff like that, or some feverish uh, feelings, I guess. Mm -hmm. Kevin? Oh, I regret to inform you that I will not be suddenly leaving the recording of this episode <laughs> because of sudden side effects. I am also doing very well. I had a minor headache last night that I didn't feel warranted needing to take any aspirin. And I did have some minor like muscle aches and I did have a bit of a sore throat shortly after I got my second shot on Friday, but Otherwise, I felt fine. I guess I was a little fatigued when I woke up in the morning, but I honestly didn't think it was much of anything. Mo, do you want me to speak for you, or do you want to speak for yourself on this one? <laughs> uh, you know, it's... it's... <laughs> okay, okay, okay. The Was Mike and you there, Mo, when you went to get your vaccine or something? Yeah, so it's because... Mo went to the place where Mike was working to get vaccinated. Yeah, he was at Cloverdale. Okay, Mo, what do you want to say about it? And then I'll add my, uh, I'll add my observations. It's, from it's, it. it's, you know, I'm just waiting for that uh, vaccine passport, man. I want to get my pass. 
you know, to be able to do shit and whatnot. So, you know. mm-hmm. Abroad? Sure, why not? I, I, at some point, they're going to open that border and we're all going to go to, you know, across. <laughs> but you just got to make sure you have the right vaccine, right? Because they said that those entering Canada, they have to be approved vaccines for Canada. So say you had uh, the Sputnik Five from Russia or you had the Sputnik vaccine from China, you can't get into Canada unless you go through quarantine. You know, I will say this. It's hilarious how we're still in stage two and stage three hasn't happened yet. It's going to be like end of the month. Uh, they're going to maybe open the borders to the U.S. before opening movie theaters and indoor dining in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Right? I okay. mean, come on. You know what I just realized? And we're just going to stop for a couple seconds here. Mm-hmm. My microphone's plugged in, but I'm pretty sure the microphone itself is not being used. So... Okay. Well, give me one second. We're just going to stop. Uh, I'm just going to just uh, make sure the microphone is now set to work, and then I will continue this thought. Okay. <laughs> okay. Boy, we, we've already fucked up this episode. <laughs> Back in a second. Hey, folks. My name is Brett, and I'm one of the hosts of Skeleton House, an audio-only Let's Play podcast where my two friends, Jess. What is happening? Oh my god! And Steve. Even he looks spooked. Play through video games, and I edit them, add context, and act as your eyeballs. Also, we have a cat. Come check us out at skeletonhouse.budsprout.com, or look up Skeleton House on your favorite podcast app. Or your least favorite podcast app. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. <clears throat> okay. That's better. So where were we? I believe we are going to talk about anime. <laughs> oh yeah, Mohammed's a <laughs> vaccine appointment. That's right. Nice try. <laughs> <laughs> See, the only observation I made when uh, when Mo was there, and it's not to say there was anything huge. It's just that, you know, he came in just before I had my break. And as he left, I just asked him, do you want to hang out at the, like at the Tim Hortons nearby? Just get a, get a drink before you head home. And he just said, no, I'm completely wiped now. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it looks like the you were starting to exhibit symptoms right away, or you're just that tired. It's been a long day. <laughs> it's just been a long day. Have you? So, but nothing serious. No, you're no, no, all, no, no. You're no, all okay. No. I mean, my arm felt like it was gonna fall off the other day, but other than that, it's you know, it's all good. Mm-hmm. See, so all all uh, five of us are now fully vaccinated. For reference, as mentioned, I got mine just before we did episode forty-five. The worst I could say for myself was, yes, the sore arm. I didn't really, I can't really say anything about fatigue because I don't recall anything. But the one thing I surely could recall was having a headache on two separate days, on the Monday and on the Wednesday. And they weren't really strong headaches, but they never went away with sleep. So I, I did find myself having to take an Advil on both occasions. And that's it. Everyone who hasn't should definitely get the uh, the vaccine, their second doses. But I, I definitely had the uh, full suite of uh, temperature fluctuations uh, the night of getting my vaccine. Yeah, it's it's nothing that, and that's something that has to be noted. I think every single person, the nurse or paramedic who gave you the vaccine, probably would gave you the line: "Your symptoms, should you have any, will feel stronger than the first time." Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what I was. That's the line I was fed at the time too. And it'll be different for everybody too. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily everyone reacts differently. Yeah, 
and but, nothing, uh, nothing lasting. No, nothing lasting. Nothing that uh, a day or so can't fix. And yeah, if you feel the need to take a Tylenol, take a Advil, a over-the-counter painkiller, there it is. I had some friends who like ran the full gamut of side effects, and then I had other friends where they told me, "Well, no, I stocked up on food and bubble tea for two days, and nothing happened." <laughs> I was like, "Wow!" So except lucky. except the bubble tea now t- now tastes crappy right <laughs> well i'm assuming they drank all the bubble tea when they needed to anyway <laughs> well i tried to think yeah, they, 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 bubble they tea is the... supposed to help you when you're feeling like garbage <laughs> well yeah they kept that what they left that let the tapioca soak in that thing mm. i don't know that's probably what could have happened all right but that's uh that's much of the COVID update for reference yes the numbers have in ontario have kept going down we're, I think, uh, regularly straddling either side of 200 most days now. Uh, that pretty accurate? Yeah, yeah I think it's within like 180, 210 kind of stuff. Yeah, we're straddling both sides of 200. So things are looking okay right now, but... And, the, uh, and for what it's worth, Ontario has opened up slightly more. We're what the province is presently referring to as stage two of the reopening process. So stores inside malls without storefronts have been allowed to open with capacity limits. The lines, holy moly, the lines. <laughs> and I hear you can get a haircut too sometimes. Yes, and, cl- and for the first time since roughly November, a lot of personal care services, salons, barbers, etc., they've opened up. The only exception was that brief period when York Region, the northern suburbs of Toronto, were briefly allowed to open up, but... I the, I got my uh, the last haircut in that last brief uh, period, and I think in February, mm-hmm. um, and I got a haircut on Canada Day or July first. Uh, yeah, that's on my that's on my uh, agenda this week. Yeah, I gotta get one too. It's been ten months. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And and for what it's worth, and going back just to the Cloverdale Clinic one more time before we move on, the ter- mayor of Toronto, John Tory visited our clinic just before it opened up on Thursday and gave us a pep talk and released a public statement. And the one thing I have to say I noticed when he gave his statement, um, he had a ponytail. Wait, what? He had a bit (laughs) of a ponytail, yeah. So basically Trudeau's beard was then attached to his head? Is that what it is? That's a good way to put it. That's an interesting way to put it. But in any event, he badly needs a haircut. And um, a lot of people will say Trudeau needs something else. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was interesting to see him. uh, (laughs) Everybody wants to take a selfie with him. I'll I'll tell you that much when he uh, visited that day on Thursday morning. And yes, he did release a statement as well. And that was broadcast on CTV's local news channel, CP24 which uh, I know Mo got a screen grab of. Yeah, you weren't on screen, Mike. What happened? Oh, no, that we were, as I said, he gave us the pep talk. Then we went to, to get ready for our shifts. So. I get it. I get it. So like, they <laughs> handpicked a few like photogenic individuals to show up next to them? Well, they look better than me. I'll say that much. <laughs> so that's the story right now. That's our COVID update. And I guess that that's more of a personal version of it. Hopefully. Hopefully we're near the end of this. Well, at least we're, or I think we're in a better spot than, than we were at the beginning of 2021, which 
you know, we, we thought we were turning the corner at that point, and maybe we did with the vaccine, but it, it, it has taken a while. So we are where we are. It's okay right now. Remember February? Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was great. Okay. I don't know. Is there anything else to really add to that? There isn't much, is there? Nope. Okay. Oh, wait. What's the uh, what's the under over on, uh, was it stage six? No. Fourth, <laughs> lock- <laughs> fourth lockdown or something? See, the thing is, the fourth wave, I could say is, it's not as if I'm an expert, so I'll defer to them, but they're always weary of that fourth wave. So it's a possibility, I guess. And it is the worry of people going back and forth across borders and stuff and like that from different places that may be more vaccinated than others. And yeah, we're and seeing that obviously again cropping up uh, with the Olympics in Japan coming up. People well, yeah, wondering well, about that. We'll talk some Olympics a bit later, I think. So there's that. And as I said, we're hoping hopefully near the end, but it also means the end of the pandemic series for this podcast. So who knows how uh, the podcast will go moving forward after all this mess is done but but we hope we've been able to at least entertain and educate you or enlighten you in various forms at least when it comes to the stuff we talk about all right well today is july the 4th a year ago around this point anime expo and anaplex and what's the other one and crunchyroll they did their no, expo? it was uh, funimation funimation did, did an their expo. own convention they did their own online conventions this weekend i guess in many respects is the unofficial start of convention season of course a very different version of convention season of the titles we've just mentioned Anaplex held an online fest for six hours from 9 p.m. Toronto time to a bit after 3 a.m. And we're going to talk about that. Anime Expo has been ongoing this weekend online, although it's behind a paywall. $5 to charity. What charity was it again? Does people know? Is it? I forgot what. It, it, it sounded like a good cause. I remember that. I just don't know the specifics of the charity that they were pitching the admission fee to five dollars or as we say in canadian what's the exchange rate <laughs> like 750 plus tax but uh, does anyone remember the charity that uh, they're doing that for can one of you guys look it up just quickly while we talk about this right yeah who are they uh, doing the admissions for? So those have been ongoing. That's this weekend. Next weekend is another seemingly big weekend for anime fandom. The second lockdown will take place. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Anime Matsuri will also take place in Houston, and that's set to be, I think, the first huge in-person gathering, certainly uh, in Houston, and maybe of any sort, much less anime itself. I'd have to double check that. But yeah, that's a pretty large scale convention by all accounts. So do I, I wouldn't mind talking about this just a little bit. Has anyone seen any of what's going on so far this weekend? At least in terms of, uh, did anyone catch Anaplex online or any of AX to this point? 
I'm looking forward to next week's uh, lockdown. Yeah, okay, I mean, lockdown looks very good with the schedule uh, they released and stuff like that. They did do, I think, uh, the week before last Friday in June, uh, a little uh, event announcing their different guests and that. It was an interesting mix of... It was an uh, interesting hour, yeah. Okay, well, we'll go to lockdown a little bit. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure none of us would have caught Anime Expo. We're, yeah, uh, I didn't catch Anime Expo. I found out what our uh, charity charitable uh, $5 was going to if we had uh, gone, Mike, and that was Community Action Fund by Hate is a Virus, and that is to support oh, yes, right. uh, a local California... California charity, I guess that fights uh, Asian, Asian uh, race hate and stuff like that, which has been which has been a, obviously a touch point uh, over the last year or so, mm-hmm. to go along with a lot of other things, really. Mm-hmm. So no one has checked out Anime Expo, so I, I didn't check the guest list there or whatever was going to happen there, so I can't really speak to that. Is there anything there ca- caught your attention, James, or not really? I'm not too much. I've seen some of the announcements. Most of it was just talking about upcoming streaming season and maybe some streaming news for what's going to happen, what some of the companies like Crunchyroll and Funimation got for uh, fall 2021. And then, of course, uh, more uh, licensing announcements uh, this week for light novels and manga across the spectrum of uh, publishers, quite a bit of them. Okay. So, and no one caught uh, Anaplex Online? I did uh, catch some of it. That was another one. Well, that was interesting. They were going after two audiences. You had the Japanese audience, and they also had the um, English audience. And they were doing it from Japan, of course. So that's why Mm -hmm. it was kind of later for us in the East Coast. It was almost when I had to watch the recording of the East uh, 40th. Sorry, it wasn't East. It was the Falcom uh, 40th anniversary concert. A couple of weeks ago because they did that from japan and it was same same thing whereas like 1 a.m our time east coast so yeah, sometimes and... we're not always in the best time zone to put it lightly no but and, uh, uh, the, uh, the sonic one right yeah but the concert i know you caught the last half uh, mike i caught the first half and it was nice they had sort of online they had the ending to uh, 86 they were going through i think some of their uh, shows that i guess were happening for the summer. They had a 10th anniversary retrospective on uh, Madoka. And they also had, um, I guess, a spot in regards to uh, Fate uh, Grand... Uh, what was it? Uh, Fate Grand Order? Yeah, Fate Grand Order. Fate Grand Order, something for Sword Art Online, talking about the popularity of the Demon Slayer movie. Mm-hmm. It it was... It, it's an Anaplex show. It, 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 it's... It's an Anaplex promotion device. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, they had some interviews in that. It was interesting mm-hmm. because the two hosts, of course, they were both fluently bilingual oh. in English and Japanese. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, 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 it was on the fly going back and forth. So sometimes it was interesting seeing them go back and forth. And they were very comfortable, both of them doing it. And I know Maxwell Powers, I think his name was, I know him from before because he's done a lot of work, VA work. For video games and stuff like that, doing trailers. Like if you've ever seen an Inti Crates commercial or trailer, it's like he's done the English and the Japanese, and he has this very distinct, deep voice, both in English and Japanese. I feel. Well, I do not want to mention the host for a, a little bit, Sally Amaki. Sally Amaki as well. She was. 
who's a member of 227. Uh, she's, she plays Sakura, I believe her name is. Mm-hmm. Maxwell Powers. Like, I don't know much about Sally Amaki. I know that she's Japanese-American. Maxwell Powers is also Japanese-American. So, yeah, both are very fluent in English. Both are uh, at worst competent in Japanese. I know that uh, there's been some shade thrown at, at Miss Amaki at the past that her Japanese may not be as good. But uh, I would call her Japanese better than my English. And I know she appeared also in character as her 22-7 character, Sakura, for a bit. Yes, it's interesting that you mentioned Maxwell Powers. You mentioned where you know him for, James. I'm more familiar with him as a as a voiceover narrator for a lot of NHK programming, too. So he does a lot of of stuff for news programs, current affairs shows, documentaries. And dare I can I see say, that with the voice. Yeah, yeah the voice and, dare, and dare I say it, even something that could be as part of those cool Japan initiatives by the government. And it was interesting. They had a, a bit of banter and they were going back and forth between English and Japanese, between him and Sally, where they were talking about just being in the booth for the first time. And they were doing the anime style voiceover in Japan and the going to the microphone and back and forth is like, did you bump into someone the first time? It was kind of funny that I'm talking about that. It's no, like I, these little quirks. I missed some of that, but I'm not surprised to hear that conversation too. But it was, as I said, it was uh, interesting. I will say, okay, just in front of uh, the extent of what I watched, I only watched bits and pieces over the six hours. Yeah, I saw a little bit of the Demon Slayer stuff, a bit of the sword art thing. It looked like an interview between two um, two of the voices there. The um, Demon Slayer thing, um, two of the voice actors, including the guy who plays Tanjiro, was featured in that. And I think one of the producers, and then I forgot who the character who the other voice actor played, but it was a major character in the movie. That's I remember seeing that. I, I admit I missed the um, Madoka Magica and Fake Grand Order bits. As for the concerts, I only saw like half of the first part because the concerts happened at the beginning and at the end. So I only I missed a good portion of the first concert but i know that the ending to aldona zero was played which i really liked i remember hearing that during songs of tokyo and i really enjoyed that but and yeah at the end claris amer and lisa played and you know what everyone was waiting for at that at the end there and the last concert right lisa was there and it's in true save the best for last fashion the very last thing you saw was her doing a live performance of Demon Slayer's theme song at 3.15 a.m. It was the very last thing. That was the payoff. That's the pay- That might have been the payoff for a lot of fans to see her perform it, and you had to wait that late for it. And I had trouble waking up this morning. As I said, uh, it's crazy when usually we're in a good time zone, Mike, but this time, uh, not so much. Even, as I said, that Falcom 40th anniversary concert, same thing happened. It was funny. They were selling goods just as that thing was going on, and I wanted to get the t-shirt. Guess what? Wake up the next morning, not even there anymore. Oh, God. (laughs) God. That's how it works. 
give me a thought here, just uh, two thoughts, and any of you can jump in on this one. One, does this feel like what IFF would be if it happened in person? Because my memory of IFF when it happened in Toronto, it just felt like it became in many respects a promotional train for Anaplex Works when we had all the Fates Day voice actors show up and then they did a demonstration, a voice, a voice acting demonstration. I'm not sure on the concert if all of them were related to uh, Anaplex as well, because I know Kevin went to the concert as well. Kevin, uh, you ever thought? There was, um, not all of them were, no. Uh, so you can't, yeah, well, IFF is really still ultimately its own thing. It's just, it's just that I, it felt to me like if I went to, IF, uh, to IFF, it would have this tone to me. It's just that IFF did have support from Anaplex, so there were Anaplex guests like Asuka, mm -hmm. and they did play the Fate Stay Night movies, so, you know, you definitely felt Anaplex's presence there, but uh, it was not just Anaplex, because uh, I believe it was... Oh, no, there was a button. Yeah, because Megumi Nakajima was there. Or, yes. Yeah. And I know there was a bunch of other movies shown. I guess it all depends, right? Because I guess the big guests, and it does happen at other cons across North America sometimes, is that sometimes they'll reach out to a company or a company will help them out and it'll be a part of their promotional cost where they want to promote a certain series coming up or a certain movie or whatever. And they'll send guests to that con and it'll be like a big event for them at that convention that just happened to be what they were promoting at IFF at that time was the Fate State uh, Night uh, Heaven's Feel movie uh, 2. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's, uh, I forgot the name of the other movie that was shown. Uh, they had Made in the Abyss, uh, the first the movie, which and, was, uh, and made, was from Sentai, and Sentai had uh, helped provide that. And it was, and that uh, was the a, first recap movie. I remember that being a pretty big thing too, uh, that weekend. But, as I said, it's just that's one takeaway I I had coming away from it, and it's also just let's be honest, uh, my own limited experience with conventions, right? You've seen you you guys have probably seen more conventions than I have, at least a bigger variety, having gone to AXs or Otakons or um, <laughs> K-pop fests, Kevin. But in my mind, Mike, uh, it wasn't really convention per se, like any of those things we saw at Anaplex Online the year before or this year, where it's kind of more the Japanese aesthetic in my mind because they were going Japan and the outside uh, Japanese audience uh, for English. And it was kind of like those things you'd see as extras on Blu-rays. Like you have maybe some concerts or videos of the artist singing the song, or maybe you had these different talk shows with the different voice actors and stuff like that, talking about the show they were in and stuff like that. So, or they had the premiere of the show, like at a theater or at a screening, and they were showing the voice actors doing introductions and talking about their roles and stuff like that. That's kind of what it felt like when we we're going through all of that. And it's very different than, say, comparative. Funimation did uh, their convention again this year like they did last year, that Funimation Con, which kind of had the template of what we do in North America where 
there was some premieres of different shows, but there were also actual panels there. You know what I mean? What we think of as panels in North America. Okay. So, yeah, I, I understood. This is like, this was a little bit more standard for the way Japan would do it. Right? Yeah, in my mind. I'm not sure yeah. if the others want to chime in. Or... No, it's just, as I said, it's... I came away with that, with a, it felt how it felt. And that's just a thought, right? There's not, it's not meant to be um, accusing or anything. Just, this is just, just the feeling I had and what I could relate it to, right? Okay. Yes or no. going to play a yes, no with you guys for a couple seconds here. No. <laughs> and that could be the answer because it's about, um, it's about Hir- Hiroyuki Sawano. Oh, in that case, it's a Yes. Okay, what do you think I'm going to ask? I have no idea. <laughs> Hiroyuki Sawano is, has become a like no, noteworthy composer. Maybe I'm not totally sure if that's totally justified, rightfully or wrongfully, but he's noted. Where, where does he sit amongst some of the great composers for anime? Would he sit with, like, does he sit anywhere close? First of all, he probably doesn't sit anywhere close to names like... Uh, Joe Hisashi or Yoko Kano, but where does he sit? He's getting up there. Not far down, or is it further down than I than I, I think? I think not too far down. He was involved in some pretty decent stuff. Like it does depend. Like at least from what my friends have said in terms of their opinion, there are the occasional works where you do feel like he's. I don't want to say mailing it in, but you can tell that it may not be something he's particularly enthused about, and it feels a little more uh, run-of-the-mill. But then you also get some of the stuff that he's done for, say, Attack on Titan, which is Hmm. pretty good stuff. And he's also worked with some of my favorite singers, like Aimee. Aimee and Lisa were, of course, mentioned there. So and and he is pr- prominent in the first in the first concert. So uh, Riona as well. Did right? Amy perform at all? Yeah, she did at the end. Oh, frig! Amy <laughs> performed at the end. I probably didn't make it in terms of being. Able, I, I don't. I don't know if you can rewatch those or not. But yeah, I didn't. Well, it's, it streams up. Stream is up. Okay, I'm watching that later. <laughs> yeah, it's a. It, you know, it's there because it's a six hour stream, six and a half hour stream. Hopefully, okay, they keep it up uh, for a long time. Yeah, unlike uh, Niku Fest. Well, there's some others that are online on YouTube too. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I mentioned to you, Mike. Like I mentioned the 40th anniversary uh, Falcom concert. It's still up on New Game uh, Plus, and I think NIS America probably has it up on their YouTube channel. And a lot of the songs they did have uh, from Falcom's history it was mostly from uh, East and from uh, Trails games, and that's fine, mm-hmm. and it was good. And then they also had uh, some trails announcements uh, for the fans so that we're getting the rest of those. It's the Crossbell Arc, which is uh, East uh, Trails from Zero and then Trails to Azure. And mm-hmm. those ones, like Zero's coming in Fall 22, Azure's coming in 2023, and then uh, Trails in to the Ravine, they announced as well, that's coming 2023. And then they had a spinoff coming in 2023 as well uh, to the rest of the world. So... North America and Europe, which was, uh, what did they call it? The Legend of 
Natuya Boundless uh, Trails, which is a spinoff, but the crossbow ones everyone was excited about, and they're bringing on uh, a fan uh, translator that had done the Azure and the Zero games. Basically, how uh, GeoFront had done it is they said, here's the patch to the Chinese games for those games <laughs> that you have to legally buy. And if you legally buy it, then you can apply that patch to them and stuff like that. Now they've taken the patches off, but basically they made a deal with NIS and they're going to help in the localization process and use their localization as a base, which will be nice. Now all the fans, of course, as you know, are like, how can it take so long, right? But that's what it takes. You got to get everything up. Go ahead, Kevin. I got to say, James, I read some of the reactions from uh, the localization team. And they were just so ecstatic. I can feel the enthusiasm and how they were just so happy that they were acknowledged, let alone being involved in the work now officially. Great. Hmm. And that okay. felt a lot better than some of the fan reactions and stuff like that. So <laughs> them, a little quick <laughs> added, fan, to say the least. And, fan, fan, fan slave. And as I said, some of them are like, why is it? Not so quick. All you're doing, you're not dubbing it. It's like you're just saying it's like, well, you know, you got to go through this. You got to make it consistent with the official translation. You got to do marking. You got to do packing. You got to do a lot of things to get a video game from infancy to on the shelf, so to speak. And they're doing a lot of SKUs because that's going to be PS4, Switch, and PC. And then people made the joke about it being a PS4 game being released in 2023, of course. Of course. And then okay. the last one, just to be quick, and I know Jeff definitely watched this one, and it's still online on, I think, the official Sonic um, YouTube is the Sonic 30th anniversary concert. And that was just a fantastic event. I worked, watched with people like Sonic Orchestra, like official orchestra, doing orchestrations of the 2D games. Then they went all rock on us when we got to uh, the 3D timeline, so to speak, with uh, the band there. And then they kind of merged together for a few songs. Like Live and Learn, I think, was the song of uh, the night in my mind. But I could be wrong. Jeff could probably correct me. I think that like everyone was waiting for Live and Learn. I kind of, um, like I watched the uh, Twitter reactions after the fact. And it was really interesting to see people like get frustrated and angry when they, they sort of skipped it skipped over it a couple times. Um, but I think it, it really was um, a really fantastic um, concert. We had the um, composer or half of Dreams Come True have a little uh, spiel and kind of the intermission uh, talking about the, uh, you know, the experience of, of writing for one of these iconic games, but not really uh, many people uh, realizing that uh, he was involved in there. And announcing that a vocal version of Green Hill Zone is going to be uh, released uh, soon, which has already been featured in commercials, apparently, in Japan, but a full album, uh, or a full, at least a single release. Um, but I think the, the most interesting thing about that, that concert was, was how, um, I, I thought that it really emphasized how different uh, Sega um, approaches fans and derivative works compared to, say, Nintendo. Um, like if you look at, you know, Nintendo, um, you know, if there's ever like a, a fan work, it's like, oh no, mamma mia, you ought to, you ought to make the money off of that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you take it, uh, 
maybe I'll take it down. Versus oh like, Se- well done. Versus like Sega's well like Sega like in the Sonic concert, um, Nathan Sharp or Nate wants to battle, um, who is a a video game and anime cover artist, like was involved in this this concert. So like on Sega's front, it's like, hey, want to come to my birthday? Come on, and it's like. It's it was amazing to me just and you know Sega's had this reputation for a while with with Sonic Mania, um, you know being made by former fan game makers. Um, and don't get me wrong, I've I've seen the Zelda concert live. It's it's a beautiful um, symphony presentation. Um, uh, you know Nintendo does also celebrate their like celebrate its own art, but the integration of the fan community I thought was something uh, really. Um, really great in that concert in particular. It's just sort of interesting how Sega has kind of redone itself since it got out of the con- console business a couple decades ago. It, it, it like everyone was so worried about it in the long run, but they just said We're, we'll just focus on the stuff we know we do well. And in many respects, I think they've enhanced it too. Okay. One last thing. Okay, before we move on, yeah, let's acknowledge lockdown. James, what do you want to say about lockdown before uh, we move on to the bullets? I think uh, we mostly said it looks like a really good lineup. They actually do have a Japanese guest with uh, Tatsuhiko Takimoto, who created Welcome to the NHK, and that's going to be a recorded Q and A that uh, JP is doing with him, and that's going to be on the Sunday, uh, July eleventh at two p.m. Mm-hmm. And then there were a lot of interesting panels and different guests. Like they had Lindsay Leverage on Friday from Anime News Network. They had uh, Helen McCarthy on Saturday, uh, July the 10th, as well as having um, Erica Friedman uh, talking about Yuri on Saturday as well. So they have some different educational and thought-provoking panels from thought-provoking guests, of course. And they have some other... Uh, panels in between that people loving all the time like i know mike tool is going to be there friday night at 9 30 p.m with a giant robo panel and then there's uh, many others so i'm yeah, sure Evan, people that had fun last time will have fun uh, again and it looks uh, very packed it was i have to say the reveal video he did one was delayed but it was actually kind of entertaining. It's entertaining in the way if you've gotten used to how JP likes to talk. We've and we've had him obviously on this show a couple times. He is so so smooth with the way he likes to talk about things. His voice, the way he uh, he he talks, and in the reveal video, which is uh, I think roughly an hour long, uh, cut out cut out the uh, some of the beginning. He goes into the story about how he got the uh, creator of Welcome to the NHK, <laughs> that, which I thought was a really funny story. He just said, okay, I noticed he some of his stuff was in English, so I just emailed him and asked if he wanted to do, do this. Mm-hmm. And he just wrote back and said, sure, you look like you're reputable. And he's like, we can do this just as long as we have it uh, recorded and stuff like that, and it isn't live, and you worked with him. And- that was the only, yeah, that was the only stipulation. It couldn't be live. But I think that's that's reasonable. Yeah, I think that's uh, I guess that. he wasn't as um like like his, his English I'm sure is okay, but maybe not comfortable in a live setting. That's okay. This still sounds like an awesome get. 
And it sounds like JP is really nervous and fanboying. And I think even his second in command, because remember, Tony was with him uh, during the reveals and that, and even he said he couldn't believe that was happening. So Yeah, and he's, and he's trying to calm him down, I think. Yeah. Because I think, I think, he, I think uh, JP is nervous, really nervous to do that. Well, I'm guessing the nerves have subsided a bit now because he said he recorded it, I think, uh, yesterday on the uh, July 3rd or the July 2nd, the night of. Who knows? <laughs> mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll hear the results of that next week. But it, it's just funny because here he was when he appeared on our show back in April, wondering if this was even worth doing. And then he just bit the bullet, decided to do it and see what would come out. And he was still kind of, I think, concerned that it could that he'd have trouble topping the first one. And that's not a, good, a bad lineup at all. That's pretty solid. Yeah, like, as he said, they cut off uh, one panel on uh, the Friday and Saturday for the late night. But then, as he said, he limited everyone uh, to one panel this time, unlike last time. And he did reach out to uh, some different people, and they were happy to actually come aboard. And he was like, wow, this is great. And he was able to fill out the uh, lineup slowly but surely. Mm -hmm. So there's, yeah, give, give the guy credit. And we'll talk a little bit more about lockdown next episode when it happens. And we'll all see what we can see, right? But yeah, he, he, he should really stop beating himself up. He did a lot of good last year, and he's doing some good now for this, because in the end, people still can't get to places like Anime Matsuri or, or in-person conventions, and that's going to still be the case for just a little longer, even when some of the conventions return. Almost certainly the big ones will have a cap, I could foresee it happening for Anime North for the first time in a decade or something like that. Anime North's probably going to have a cap. That's just for safety reasons. For COVID safety reasons, more specifically. And I think just about every other convention will see that for at least into 2022. So there'll be something there for online. Although... I know there's this bigger discussion, and that's coming back to the whole Anapl uh, the whole Anaplex online. Remember when we talked about that anime business uh, article with JP at the time? The look of conventions in the future. Mm -hmm. So I, I, it, it sort of made me uh, ask a little bit about that. The project anime—that's what it was, which was really just a small piece, but it had me thinking about that. Okay. I think uh, we, we should uh, serve our, uh, hold our... Do we have any further convention talk, or we'll just wait and see how the rest of the convention season goes, and we'll talk about it as it happens? We'll see how it shakes out. Okay, because, uh, yeah, we... Uh, how much time we how much time have we used? Okay, 15 minutes. Almost 50 minutes, I think. Um, you want to do the bullets? Do it. We got a few. Do a few. Yeah, we can do quite a bit. And uh, I think we, we set up as many as six, I believe. So here we go. It's the bullets, little things that can become big things. What do you, where do you want to start? You want to start with the Olympics first? I mean, that's the most uh, obvious thing, I guess. Is that still uh, happening? <laughs> believe it or not, right? 
the Olympics are still set for a couple weeks from now. The only thing they're questioning now, I guess, on that uh, certain spectrum for those people are, will there be fans in the stands or not? Mm-hmm. Well, they should yeah. do what they did in the, um, the bubble, the, um, the NBA bubble, the digital fans. <laughs> Something like that. Well, what, what do you want? Athletes are going out of the village, that's for sure. Okay, so what do we want to say about the Olympics? Because there was some talk this week. I want to say controversy, but there was some talk earlier this week about backlash that backlash the the organizing committee is facing for the use of anime characters in the promotion of the upcoming Olympics. And oh, that right. was the tough thing, right? And even they, some of the companies admit, like uh, Tezuka Productions in regards to Adam and stuff like that, admitted that. And that was in regards to um, Rumiko uh, Tezuka, daughter of Osama Tezuka, tweeting out about the situation that a lot of these contracts were done before the pandemic. So obviously they never foresaw this happening to any of them. And a lot of the people that were arguing, of course, said it felt out of character for characters with a strong sense of justice, like Adam or Usagi, as they said, to support the games during a pandemic. And as they said, like the contracts are already locked in, so it may be hard to break them, unfortunately, and no one would ever foresee this, right? But you do agree, it doesn't look great for them, right? And they admit that. It's so odd optic, but yeah, it's one of those, yeah, you couldn't see it coming, couldn't be helped. Jeff, I know you you said as much. Jeff. Yeah, and you know we have to remember like this when all of the um, partnerships started to be announced, like the um, like the Olympics being in Japan was was um, started with the prime minister coming out of a warp pipe, I think, from from Mario. Um, and then yes, it's worth mentioning they, they <laughs> that was part of the promotion. The promotion was there from the start. Yeah. Sorry. So I I think connecting uh pop culture and and animation and and things like that has always kind of been um you know in the plans for on Japan's side at least. I'm not sure about the Olympic Committee. Um yeah, but I think that you know you have the arguments that um it was out of character as James mentioned. Um might be in character for Goku. Um Maybe some sort of some sort of reckless challenge. Uh, I think it uh, suits the abandoning small child uh, superhero. I um, was just uh, on a personal level. I was just waiting to see the uh, see Ikira characters. <laughs> I think that would have been like that's a missed opportunity, don't you think, James? Don't you think that's a missed opportunity? Everyone's been talking about that missed opportunity. I, I, now I, mean, I, I mean, my life is everything, right? I fully admit my life is full of missed opportunities, but this one takes the cake for me. <laughs> so I think that it, I think that the fact that these deals are made so far in advance is best um, exemplified by the fact that Jibanyan from Yokai Watch is still shown as a Olympic mascot. Because uh, I guess in 2018, when they were uh, still hashing out these deals, they probably had a lot more confidence in uh, the Yokai Watch brand than uh, than history has uh, played out for it. Yeah, that was the one that now feels out of place now, doesn't it? Because the bubbles mm-hmm. kind of unfortunately popped for them in my mind. 
it was it was huge when when I was in Japan and I think even subsequent years kind of when I visited like around 2018 but I think once you kind of pass that that 2017 year I think it just completely dissolved and that's probably even being generous maybe that's that's, that's part of the thing about using pop culture as a promoting mechanism for something like this because Time, uh, it's very fleeting. And pop like, culture by its own nature is so just very fleeting. Right? Astro Boy, Goku, Sailor Moon, uh, to some extent Luffy, I think those were safe choices. Um, but the Pretty Cure of the Day um, and and things like Yokai Watch was a little bit more mm, weird <laughs> to me. At or least. at least, at the very least, not not as big as shelf life. Yeah, riskier, I guess, too. That's a good way to put it. So the thing is, the Olympics are, are still going to happen. I'm not going to say that's right or wrong. It's just, it, it's happening, dude. Right? Yeah. So, you know, sit back and enjoy. They're going to go. See how, um, just realize the lights you see in the stands during the opening ceremonies. Chances are those are just lights that are affixed to the chairs, much like uh, they are at... Uh, Montreal Canadiens games this week. Well, they got to try and make like 4% of that money back rather than not make any of it back. Yeah, that's a, that's the interesting part because the IOC obviously has committed the next games for Paris and LA. This might be the last chance. And you feel because so much money has already been invested and wasn't the IOC's money that was invested into this. Exactly. <laughs> But they get to, but you know, they have almost all of the control in this scenario, and you know that like we can go on and on about about the IOC themselves. But that's another, probably another story and a probably another podcast altogether. Pretty sure you can find one out there that'll talk talk better at length about it. Maybe have Brian Williams as a guest. No, just wait for uh, John Oliver to cover it. Oh, which I think he did already. He might cover it. Yeah, I think a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, way to go. You knew that too, didn't you? <laughs> didn't you, Mo? Okay. Quick question, actually, for Jeff. Uh, you taught in Japan. What grade did you teach out of curiosity? Um, primarily, it was middle school, but I did have uh, elementary school weeks. So I'd say maybe 30% of my time was... Uh, grade one to, to six, as well as seven to nine. How much, in terms of, like, the, the dominance, like, in terms of between, like, Yokai Watch and Pokemon, how much of it would you say was the ratio of which franchises the kids were into? Because I feel like there was a point in time where I heard how younger Japanese children were more into Yokai Watch because they knew adults were into Pokemon, and then they didn't want to be into what the adults were into. I I don't think that was a, a huge um, factor because I think mm -hmm. that a lot of the Yokai Watch fans were so young that they probably wouldn't even um, conceptualize that kind of uh, thinking. Um, I I do know by grade four, um, like when I would draw Pokemon on the board for them, all of them were super enthusiastic and into to Pokemon. Okay. But like in in stores and that, you would see 
you know, little kids doing the yokai watch uh, dance out front of, um, you know, certain, you know, displays and everything. So um, I think that the, and I think I had a grade two or three class um, do the yokai watch dance for me, or they were practicing and showed me. Um, so I think that, you know, it, it was, it skewed a bit younger, but I think that was probably, you know, part of that is it wasn't an established franchise. So, you know, there wasn't that generational powerhouse that Pokemon has. And part of it was probably intentional. Interesting. Hmm. That's cool to know. Okay. All right. So where do you want to go next? That was just a little bit there. Which way do you want to go next? Oh, by the way, how was the uh, new Gundam movie? I know Gundam. Ha- there's a Gundam Hathaway movie on. Yeah, Netflix. Matt Hathaway's pretty good. You liked it, <laughs> plot wise. It's it's very pretty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is, okay, this is starting to sound like uh, some of the some of the first reviews I'm hearing. I, I think uh, go on. The, the storyline had great graphics. <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh man, no! I was gonna say one of the reviews I read was literally said how um, the background, <laughs> the graphics were good. What's her face was hot. Uh, Gigi was hot, What's and then it's like, and, uh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> and it was like comparing it to the seed review, being like, yeah, the, the, the graphics were good, and what's her face was hot. Hmm. One way to put it. Okay, but uh, but it's it's that this week, right? So yeah, no, I, I was just gonna say that the first. 16 minutes there's like an action sequence that starts off the movie it's a three-part movie i i I feel like netflix should put that on youtube and promote the ever-living shit out of it uh it's very uh relatable it's um anyone can watch it it's like um it's like one of those uh hijacking scenes in movies and so forth but it's done so beautifully that i feel like you know maybe you can kick some people off into like being into gundam and so forth (laughs) yeah I don't know what else I'll add to it. I haven't seen it myself. Although, I guess we're talking a little streaming news on that note. Funimation's adding, finally adding Robotech to the mix. Has Hell Frozen open yet? <laughs> uh, well, we don't know what, what, uh, defining how, what, uh, what would freeze over Hell. But I know that they did announce, there was an announcement concerning putting Robotech on, their, on the Funimation streaming service. And they oh, were and going it, to announce it. They announced it was coming physically. So the Macross Saga is coming in September. And then the other two uh, sagas are coming in November and December. But I think they also said a very special edition through the Funimation shop only, which I think is like very expensive, is coming on September. And it has all the sagas. Plus it has all these... Uh, different things in it too like i think there's a roy Falker like figure in there and some other stuff yeah and just going back to funimation for just another second sorry and do we want to what do we want to say about robotech here it's a big uh, money cow so they know where the money is and that's where they're starting on that note remember we talked a little bit about demon slayer movie being exclusive to funimation right we mentioned that two weeks ago yeah paid paid subscription only Premium uh, only available on for premium subscribers, so not even on the free tier. So the, the, this doesn't really surprise me. Okay, yeah, it's like the only thing you get on free is the simulcast and stuff like that. If they add something with everything at once, then it's only usually for the premium subscribers. Mm-hmm. 
But the, none of yeah, that fact just didn't surprise me. I, I thought I'd just uh, at least mention Macross and Gundam since obviously we've had that discussion about missed opportunities again. Uh, we'll see who else uh, wants to play uh, in the uh, Macross universe and uh, with the companies in Japan and see if uh, more than just Funimation wants to license any of that stuff uh, going forward. But time will tell, right? Right. Always does. Yes, we'll see which ones people think uh, they'll be able to make some money on. But I think we knew Robotech was going to be first anyway. And I guess this is the first time it's been on Blu-ray because last time I think it came out was from A&E of all people. And that was on DVD. Well, now. Okay. So let's move on. Um, some some Rumiko Takahashi talk. Some of this was kind of cute. So over the last month, Rumiko Takahashi has increased her online presence. She recently started a Twitter account. And about a month ago, she put up a really funny look at her work day. Sounds like quite the workday when we looked at it, according to uh, Sora News 24, and I think a few other places. But she posted a copy of her daily schedule when she's doing art, when she's actually working. So let's go through it just quickly. Before noon, do the inking for seven or eight pages of character artwork. Noon, have lunch, do housework. 4, um, 4 p.m., do, read, do housework. 7 p.m., eat dinner, do housework. 9 p.m., start drawing new artwork. And then all the way through to 9 a.m. the next morning, temporarily stop working, go to bed, noon, eat lunch, do housework. 4 p.m., start drawing. 7 p.m., take a break, eat dinner. 8 p.m., start drawing again. Day after that. And then and then go the day after that, 13 hours straight, 9 a.m., finish her work. This is her schedule. This is the... This is, uh, and I'm sure she has assistants like too. So oh, it makes you wonder when the assistants come in there at those points. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this is like this is dedication, dude. It sounds so funny to hear the, this uh, this story. And she's talked. She's been, you know, talking a little bit more these days. It sounds like. But should we be shocked at this, or should we say par for the course for? Well, it's part for her course, but part for the course for any mangaka. Pretty similar. Uh, it sounds it just I, like it sounds shocking, but is one thing to consider is that that's that was over the course of two days. Mm-hmm. He also has to plan the stories for these works. That's why she that gives herself those breaks to... over the days. Yeah, that takes time over that uh, two day period. It's an interesting looking schedule. Some call it shocking. It's just. I just uh, looked at it and said, okay, this is just how her mind flows. And right now she's one of those that can chart her own course right now. Right. Oh yeah. Like I'm, I imagine she doesn't get much input from the editorial staff. Or she's not, she's not forced into anything or. Yeah. You know, I don't think, I, I think she's at that point. She's doesn't have to have those conversations anymore. I feel like they just let her do whatever she wants. Mind you, you could debate that perhaps maybe she could seek 
more editorial input because you know you think that some of those series could have been a little shorter perhaps because how well did Renee really do and how well did <laughs> how well did uh I don't know how is Mao doing right now Mao is not too long at the moment but because that's her newest work but like even Inuyasha did it really need to be that long <laughs> <laughs> so 56 volumes or 57 volumes can we like is she untouchable in many respects well i think we gave the we've when the mics were off we've given a george lucas type comparison yes chart your own course right yes or no is she that on that level i think so like can yeah anybody else who has that who would have that type of uh, control? Because, because remember, if you remember the, um, I made fun of that episode of Midnight Diner last episode, and what was depicted: Gaia going falling deeper and deeper into madness because he sucked, and wannabe a, a wannabe manga writer trying to be steered a certain way. I can think of a few artists that have that kind of control now. Yohiro mm-hmm. Togashi, creator of okay. uh, Yu Yu Hakusho and Hunter Hunter. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Kentaro Miura had that. I imagine Kentaro Miura did have that. Yes, uh, I think Akihiko Inoue, creator of Vagabond and Slam Dunk and Real, probably has that creative control. Even nowadays, you have say. Probably even some of the more recent established creators, recent in air quotes, because they've been more established as of late. But for example, like any of the popular Shonen Jump creators that have at least one successful title under their belt, like one like long one almost title, quote unquote generational almost. Would Ken Akamatsu have that? Perhaps so. Right, because I'm not totally sure. Like, I mean, he had he had an it title back in the aughts. He had a couple it titles back in the aughts. Well, even but, even UQ Holder is uh, still going pretty strong right now, mm-hmm. which was the quasi Negima sequel. So yeah, it's just I wonder who has that, since editors and of course you know just the market forces just make a certain demand, but. Some people have enough, have built enough cred. They can do whatever the hell they want. Hiro Mashima, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Creator well, that of, list goes uh, there. Fairy Tale and Rave Master. Mm-hmm. And we can. I, I, if anyone's listening out there, give me, give me some thoughts as to who has that type of control. Who has the Rumiko Takahashi, George Lucas, you know Inui. Chart your own path type of control. Well, in in the anime, probably Mamoru Hosoda at this point. So you would say Shinkai, certainly, certainly Miyazaki. Well, I think that's almost a completely different level. Yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) that's that's a different level. (laughs) (laughs) And that's to the extreme because he keeps on retiring. Then he's like, "No, I'm not really retiring." Yeah, he'll basically. You know, you, when when will I take? Yeah, we'll take the break when I want to take a break, right? <sighs> okay. 
on that note of Rumiko Takahashi, and this is a nice little follow-up, 35th anniversary, to celebrate the 35th anniversary of Maison Ikoku, a figurine of uh, Kyoko was released in her wedding dress, in her wedding kimono. Really nice looking uh, figurine when you uh, look at the pictures, and it's, it comes with detachable parts for, for both, depicting both her hair and the hood she wore for that dress. Mm-hmm. All yours if you want to pay $211. American. Convert 211 US dollars to Canadian. Isn't that like $6,000 or something? It's like two sixty. Close enough. Yeah, close enough. So, <laughs> two hundred eleven, I, I, which I guess would be. Uh, I I don't know how that compares with uh, how figures are supposed to cost these days. I, I'm gonna guess it's up there, but hey, um, it's quality, I guess. One would hope. One would hope. Okay, you have a thought on this one, James? Since you uh, since you're the one who steered me towards this one, and I, I think it's a nice touch, personally. Everyone here knows what my feelings are concerning Maison Koku. What's your take on it since you gave it to me, James? I guess it was interesting thinking that we talk about it being the marketing machine, right? For uh, anime and manga and stuff like that and figures and merch are tied to it. But sometimes they will take a look back, I guess, at these seminal series and that they will celebrate them. So 35 years after uh, the end of Maison Koku. They are finally doing uh, a figure of uh, Kyoko basically in the wedding dress. And this doesn't look like it has uh, been done before. It looks like a very like well-done figure, high-end uh, type figure. You can uh, change her up a bit with having the hood on or the hood off. And it would be very something nice to have on a collector's shelf, I think. You can tell well, they it, put it, a lot of love and thought into it. Yeah, that's interesting. It. You brought up an interesting point. Older series being depicted in figures these days, at least new figures now. That's an interesting point, though. It looks nice. I, I if I if if I had the means and the means to display and show that off and afford it, buy your uh, ninety dollar IKEA shelf for the two hundred eleven dollar figure. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I I consider it. It's just you know. It does look really nice, and otherwise I'd really be interested if I was a few years younger. Priorities, dude, priorities. Gee, thanks. Okay, moving on. The Eva Rebuild movies. They announced, was it, when, when was this announced for Amazon Prime? Earlier this week or last week? It was uh, this week. It was actually on uh, Canada Day. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I, I mean, I'm trying to go through my uh, what I have here, but everything's uh, my tabs are all a mess. So, well, what do you want to say about this? I guess it's interesting uh, who picked it up uh, and who uh, Kara decided uh, they were going to finally give the license to for all those movies, and it also confirms that I guess Funimation does not have the license anymore for the first three movies. Because nope, Amazon yeah. Prime has the first three movies, and they also have uh, the new one, the fourth movie, which is Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 Grace Upon a Time. 
And the interesting part is it's a new version of this final film that uh, they're releasing on it that they had just put into Japanese theaters again that has minor revisions and some to some animation sequences, they said, and some other small changes. So it's kind of crazy that usually they're so fine on these films, but Anno and the team went back and still did things on it. I want to know the bidding process for Amazon winning this, because I felt like with the original series being on Netflix, that maybe Netflix might have won this out, but like, why did why did Amazon get it? How did Amazon get it? Well, I think the other thing was, remember, Netflix got streaming, but they didn't get physical, because remember, G-Kids and all the anime got physical license for um, the series, for Evangelion. So that's the question mark of do they have physical and do they have theatrical? Because it's going to be interesting to see if it will get a theatrical release. Because I thought that was one of the big things Kara wanted from Funimation is they wanted it in theaters. So that's an interesting point there. It's just like the only impression I have is it just seems so historically Eva. One thing go one part of the property goes to one place, another part goes to another place, another part goes to another place. We have that originally. TV series ADV, movies, manga. TV series Netflix. Rebuild movies. Amazon? And I guess the other thing is it's going it's basically plowed out to everyone. So they've obviously been working on a lot of these different language versions simultaneously because they said it'll be streamed on Amazon Prime with dubs in 10 languages, including English, French, German, Portuguese, Spanish, Italian, and some others. And they also said it will stream with Japanese subtitles in 28 languages. So there was a lot of work probably put in there. And I'm guessing Kara was overseeing it all, just like we saw for all things Ava. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Well, sure. I mean, people are already fearing how that translation will look. Come on, people. Okay, on that note, just to tie this just a little bit together, Hikaru Utada, June was Pride Month here in, in Toronto, and I think in a lot of other places. Hikaru Utada last week came out as non-binary. It was last week, right? I think it was the 25th or the 26th. Yeah, um, it was around zone. there, 20th or 26th. Yeah, <laughs> it with week. time zones, it might have been, like for us, it looked like the 26th, but she might have been 25th because she might have been in Japan, I believe. Or I know you want to mention this a little, a little bit more at length, Jeff. What, what's on your mind concerning this? Um, I think that the, the biggest uh, thing with... Um, uh, uh, Hikaru Utada's uh, coming out is the significance it has for um, LGBT uh, plus uh, visibility in Japan. Um, you know, uh, Utada is, you know, relatively well-known, famous. Um, if you look at Kingdom Hearts, um, probably in particular, um, their, their coming out was uh, in conjunction with the uh, um, Evangelion um, uh, movie. Um, it was kind of a, a casual thing where um, I think they were mentioning their their uh, stuffed teddy bear um, was gay and then uh, mm -hmm. said, you know, I myself am non-binary. Um, but I think that if, 
you know, I've done a little bit of research in there and there's been sort of um, less conclusive hints and um, so forth uh, over the past few years. Um, I think uh, both in uh, 2016, uh, there was, I think, a tweet that said, what makes you think I'm straight? Um, earlier, I think uh, 2006 or seven, there was an interview where uh, they talked a lot about, um, you know, confusion and like not sure if uh, they're identifying as a man or a woman and things like that. Um, but, you know, I think the, the, the best part of this is that a lot of Japanese news, news agencies and, and so forth had to, you know, do some research and figure out, oh, okay, what, what does uh, non-binary mean? Um, sort of re-educate on LGBT as, a, as an acronym and a term. I've seen a lot of kind of uh, screenshots and photos of of Japanese televisions with, you know, LGBT in in Roman characters uh, all along the top, and um, you know, I, I think in in a country that, you know, when you look at non-binary and and trans uh, representatives, um, like in um, as far as the fictional characters or you know characters that are being you know played. By actors, you know, the sort of old conservative Stephen Colbert type of character. Um, there's, it's, you know, they're either clowns or, you know, mysterious and alien. And, you know, it's funny I say mysterious, but um, uh, Utada's um, uh, prefix uh, that they've mentioned that they, they like is um, Miss, um, spelled M-Y-S, uh, short for mystery. Um, which I think is is kind of charming. I don't know if it will catch on in in the community, but um, I heard is what what about MX? Yeah, I heard yeah. MX was heard... one too that you discovered as well. Yeah, so uh, mix is something that uh, they mentioned. Um, you know, sounded cool. I don't know if um, much like um, Utada's pronouns. Uh, um, so I've been using uh, they them pronouns for um, Utada right now, just because. Um, I've done a lot of research to try to, you know, verify this, and um, there hasn't been any uh, confirmation of that. And, you know, part of that is, you know, uh, probably language. I mean, she was um, uh, born Japanese-American, or they were born Japanese-American, and, um, you know, but have lived in Japan for so long, um, I'm, I'm guessing uh, that... Um, you know, they're probably, you know, thinking along uh, Japanese uh, pronoun uh, lines, which are, are quite different. Um, but I don't think that they've claimed mix as their own. I think uh, they might in the future. Uh, but there there has been, you know, uh, they've, they've said, oh, this is a cool um, term. This is what I've been looking for for a long time in my life. Um, but then I think more recently, uh, they've they've kind of made a I think an Instagram or Twitter uh, post with the MYS, but uh, mix is what a lot of um, non-binary people in a professional context will will end up using. Um, and I do want to, I guess, mention that uh, they could uh, come out and say that they they still prefer um, the the more feminine pronouns of like she her. Um, the like non-binary doesn't mean it, it's automatically a they, them pronoun. Um, that's the most common. And I think, you know, if you look at their Wikipedia page, um, 
all instances of she, her have been replaced with they, them for now, um, kind of as a, I think, as a better safe than story kind of uh, mechanism for the time being. But, um, you know, there's wide varieties of, of pronoun and uh, honorifics usage that uh, people will want to use. And uh, Utada hasn't uh, made a lot of that, um, I guess, public or available at this point. We tied Hikaru Utada in so quickly because they performed the theme song to Eva, to the Eva Rebuild movies. And they performed songs for Kingdom Hearts. They also uh, did the theme song, the opening song for the most recent anime that's still on Crunchyroll uh, to your eternity, and that was Pink Blood. So and they released mm -hmm. that as a single uh, recently. And I think the gaming community has taken note of this one. And I think there's an article that Jeff gave us as to why this could be significant in that community. And I, I think it, it connects even to, um, you know, the, the Japanese, um, you know, side of it. So there's lots of different intersections because I think if you look at like the North American fans, um, I've seen tweets that have said that uh, uh, Utada's music has raised a, a generation of LGBT uh, teens and, and now adults anyways. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people are saying that, oh, this, this tracks, this makes sense. Um, I think Utada's mentioned that they, uh, one of uh, their songs has been uh, previously, like it was about um, a homosexual love. Um, so I think that, you know, there is maybe some validation happening, um, some connection for sure. Um, but if you look at um, the gaming community, um, I think things like RPGs and, and Kingdom Hearts, it's probably a much safer um, place for, for the community than, um, you know, more competitive games or, or you know, the online uh, aspect of things. Um, but it's kind of one of those, both in the gamer space um, and I think maybe the, um, the Japanese space where, you know, it's, it's a little step forward um, as far as uh, safety and, and acceptance and awareness. Um, I don't expect the uh, shooter online crowd to uh, stop <laughs> their homophobia and racism and all those other <laughs> stereotypes that I think are still there. Um, I think you can bleed uh, or make transitions into the, the Gamergate um, incidents of the past. Um, I don't think any of these things are going away, but I do think that because Utada is so well-known and, and well-loved, um, I think it's, it's seen as, as a, you know, a herald or a, an excellent stepping stone for, um, for improvements, even though there's a long way to go. Okay. Well, no, it's interesting. A couple years ago, I'm going to mention this one more time. NHK World did a documentary about a recent high school graduate who completed their gender change, their sex change. The, this person went from, I believe, man to woman, completed the change, and realized they couldn't, fit, they couldn't feel it as a woman either. Mm -hmm. And so at the, by the end of this, 
this person was now somewhere teetering in the middle. So really non-binary. And it was funny because the friends in high school were very accepting of them through all of this, right? It's not he or she, it's, we just call this person by their name. I think of it as, let's just say Mako. It's not he or she, it's Mako. But it was really interesting because the documentary also also documented their complications in trying to refit into society because, yeah, on forms, in formal government forms, there's male or female, but nothing else. It's so rigid that way. And people get don't get things just on that tech, uh, on really what could be a technicality. Like we've had this discussion before too, right, Jeff? Yeah, and and I versions think, of this. Yeah, and I think that you know when you when you enter the the Japanese um, you know side of things, it it is different from from the North American context um, because I think at, I think maybe some people um, in uh, Utada's um, sort of comments after the fact, after uh, coming out on stream, uh, mentioned, oh, maybe it's it's just a frustration with the the um you know the paperwork system in Japan and and labeling like that um you know and i think that's it's a separate but connected issue i think that there is still um even if you look at at the binary uh genders or sexes i think that there's still an imbalance um not even to mention um non-binary or trans uh individuals um so i think that it's so difficult with with paperwork and and sort of the official or um, organized life in Japan. I think that Japan is famously slow to change. Um, and in that, in those, yeah, in these senses, yes, in in a lot of senses, but especially in in these senses. Um, as as I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, it's interesting because you know compared to somewhere like the U.S., it's it's not, I don't think it's nearly as malicious as a lot of the, the sexism or homophobia or transphobia is in uh, North America or, or England or the Europe in general. Um, it's, it's just more this rigidity, um, rigidity or um, sort of general conservatism, like not political, but, you know, let's keep things as they are. Let's keep the, the gears moving as they, as they should. Mm-hmm. Um, there's less of that hate, but it's, it's still an incredibly difficult barrier for, for so many people. Okay. Well, I, I just, just to end it off and we're running low on time now. Mikaru Utada did back in the day, like I think 2008 did a podcast interview with a, like a not so, I, I, I wouldn't, not at least a name I would have recognized then or now. And they did it in English. I should find that interview and maybe we, uh, we can post that up here. But one of those, it, it, it's an interesting moment, I think, for, the, for history, especially in the history of LGBTQ plus rights when it comes to Japan. Uh, or is there something else anyone else want to add? Oh, uh, I have a couple things to bring up quickly. Okay, just quickly. So, the Blue Exorcist manga will be going on hiatus for the next several months because Kazue Kato is going to be drawing a separate work for a few months. 
uh, I believe it was an adaptation of a Fuyumi Ono novel. And uh, people familiar with Fall Kingdoms will know, or Ghost Hunt will be familiar with Fuyumi Ono. So I think it won't be back till like early next year, Blue Exorcist. And uh, Blue Exorcist has been on hiatus at various points, but at least in this case, it seems like it's not, well, not seems, it's not a, not due to fatigue. Yeah, that's one of those weird cases. Not, not something you'd see. Because she did take a couple months off, uh, I think in February or in March. She took two months off early in the year. Also, there was a bunch of manga that got announced in the last several days by both Kodansha and Seven Seas. Uh, a lot, way too many to name like off the bat, but I'll just name some that I were interested in. So I actually was surprised to see Seven Seas announce a Daisuke Igarashi work. Uh, Viz put out his uh, Children of the Sea manga out several years ago. Uh, this one's called Witches. And his art is very striking, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, also, Seven Seas licensed Darling in the Franks. <laughs> which I'm <laughs> like, oh god. <laughs> That's actually... Uh, yeah, anyone familiar with the anime will may or may not think that that was a bit of a problematic work. It was pretty divisive when it was airing. Uh, also, on the Kodansha front, uh, one that caught my attention was Wand Dance. Uh, that's coming out next year, and it will be in print from the looks of it. And that's about a boy who encounters this girl in, her, in his school that's just a dancer, and kind of catches her dancing on her own and then he kind of gets knitten with her and then ends up like joining her in this uh hip-hop dance club well now yeah so that one's that seems right up my alley in terms of like kind of like a quirky coming of age kind of story and uh, kodansha also announced uh, a few shuzo oshimi manga so the creator of flowers of evil and inside mari Mm. And, okay. And also, some of some of Osamu Tezuka's works are getting reprinted. So, because a lot of that stuff was a lot of that stuff that Vertigo put out was coming out of print. So, like Apollo Song and Moo, actually not Moo. It's uh, yeah, Apollo Song, Princess Knight, and Ode to Kirihito are going to get reprinted. And Bama is coming out uh, early next year too from uh, Vertical uh, Kodansha as well in print. Yeah. And that's a Osama Tezuka as well. So that's the first new one they've done in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because okay, because Ed is Ed Chavez has pointed out how like they eventually stopped putting vertical works because or not sorry ver, when he was at Vertical, he said that they were slowly stopping the publishing of Osama Tezuka works because he felt that the good ones had run out, so to speak. But well, on the topic of somebody who could have charted their own course, that they were still around. Yes, and uh, speaking of Ed Chavez, uh, Dempa announced a new license as well. They licensed Renjo Desperado. Hmm. 
and that one okay. is pretty uh an action comedy manga it looks kind of wacky the young samurai woman who wanders the frontiers looking for love but all the men she encounters are scum <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like uh that sounds like um was it uh never mind i forgot the name of the title and I think it's complete too, so they'll be able to get that out hopefully in short order, six to eight volumes in that. But that's starting in twenty twenty two. So yeah, they they got some they got some backlog to get through. All right, well, thanks for the list. I, I I'll have to find I'll have to find that a uh, little bit more of that information. We'll put it up. Two more things we'll mention here tonight. Our friend Jesse Betteridge he recommended and noted to. The I Miss Bionics group, and it got our attention. CBC Gem, the uh, the streaming service of the national broadcaster up here in Canada, added a number of items for this month. And there's a handful of items of note from Japan, mainly documentaries and a couple, a handful of dramas. What grabbed Jesse's attention, I know, is that, well. Japanese dramas just are notoriously hard to find on streaming services. Unless, of course, they're of the newest variety or if Netflix has a co-production in it. So those caught his attention. Obviously, the documentaries caught his attention too. And these are sort of in the lead up to uh, an Olympics that people will debate whether or not should be happening. Just for reference on the Olympics and sporting events just about to happen in Japan, I know that there's a grand sumo tournament happening this week, but it's in, I think it's in Nagoya this time around. They're not using the Kokuikan in Tokyo because that's now being converted to become the boxing venue at the Olympics in a couple weeks' time. And the sumo tournament that's just started today, as we are taping this, will end just before said Olympics. And also, finally, and this is a follow-up on the story I uh, told on my mind a couple weeks ago, in my never-ending attempt to make all of you hate the song Hatsukoi, I, have, I will be adding two new videos to the On My Mind on our website, AnimeRoundtable.com. The first video depicts the one and only, because, you know, TM Revolution is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. A 2013 video of him at uh, at a uh, Christmas special with the idol group Momoiro Clover Z. And it's just him bantering with the girls of the group. And ultimately, at the end of this video, he does, I guess for lack of a better choice of words, a karaoke performance with... Uh, I believe it's Kanako Momota, and they sing Hatsukoi. About the only thing missing from that were the drinks. But uh, we'll put that up. Uh, you'll get a kick out of that. And I think you'll get a bigger kick. Another YouTuber decided to do a mashup of 12 different covers of the same song. And it basically played the whole song through. But every few seconds switched to each of the 12 different covers. This is a, this is kind of a treat to watch. You'll get to hear how the song sounded from around the time it came out to roughly, I think the, uh, a cover maybe 
in roughly 2007. And there's a couple of them that will surely catch your attention, although one of them sounded a bit like Bob Dylan. It's worth a listen, and maybe in Neil's case, worth listening to while smoking. Yeah, I think that's the word we'll use. But it's just, it's really just uh, worth listening to. And I think I left the other other guys speechless in, in mentioning all of that. In any event, we'll, uh, uh, as I said, we'll put that up for your listening pleasure. And hopefully, you will start to hate the song the much the same way I might have back then. Anyway, that's all we got for this episode. One more time, a reminder where you can reach us, animeroundtable at gmail.com, at animeroundtable, animeroundtable.com. We also have a Spotify playlist, too, so um, you can check that out, along with the podcast itself. Also, don't forget, if possible, to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, because those reviews might help us find new listeners, although word of mouth helps, too. But if you're going to leave us a review, Kevin... We would appreciate a four or five star review wherever it lets you do that. <laughs> we typically do episodes once every other week, although we'll once in a while do something on our off weeks too. And so that said, subscribe to us wherever you are seeing or listening to this so you can be notified whenever something new drops in the field. But once again, that's it. So until next time, thank you for listening. Have a good one from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. Ooh. <laughs>